everyone. Natalie here, your host. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. Join us today for an insightful conversation on meditation, tea, nature, consciousness coaching, and living a balanced life. The process of meditation is a unique journey for each individual. Our guest today is Rachel Malley, an artist, consciousness coach, and a meditation instructor based outside of Chicago. She's also part of the Living Tea team. We often talk about tea as a mindful practice on Life on Earth podcast. In this episode, you'll learn about the many ways to experience tea in community. Rachel is redefining the meaning of meditation and making it available to all. Rachel invites us to work with the discomfort, suggesting that meditation is a tool for getting to know how and who we are. She's the creator of Still Life Meditation, a center for meditation and self-inquiry in Elgin, Illinois, where she helps all types of people discover, appreciate, and share more of who they truly are. This episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School, where we offer 200-hour, 300-hour yoga programs, both online and in person, along with other certifications, such as Yoga Nidra. Visit ShantiYogaTrainingSchool.com to learn more. Make sure to check out our show notes for all links mentioned in this episode. And here's an exciting bonus for you, our listeners. At the very end of this episode, Rachel will guide us through a meditation practice. It's a special treat, so we recommend that you pause the episode if you're driving or operating any machineries, find a tranquil space for meditation, and come back to join us for this enriching experience. Now sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. I think our conversation will be super interesting today. I want to talk to you about mindful practices, meditation, tea, nature, your tra- you know, your story around it. Tell us where you are right now. Yeah, I'm at my home out in the western suburbs of Chicago. I was just saying that it's just turned spring summery out here. So I was laying in the grass right before we started. It's in, it's one of my favorite times of year. Awesome. Yeah. And, you know, just for context, because we've had Colleen Houdin on the podcast and many of our listeners are familiar with Living Tea. So I just wanted to say I'm how I met Rachel was through Living Tea. You work with the organization as well, the company. So that's right. That's yeah, awesome. I actually started about two years ago. I joined Living Tea as Colin's assistant 
And then shortly thereafter, I decided to take over half the business. (laughs) And now now we run the e-commerce portion of the business out here in my meditation studio out in the suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. And you just got back from Telluride in Colorado. They had a retreat. You were telling me it it went really well. Yeah. Really beautiful retreat centering on the five elements, which is a Taoist philosophy that underpins Chinese medicine, acupuncture, herbalism, a lot of different intersecting arts and healing practices relate to the five elements. And so we had a seven-day retreat out there in Colorado and drank a lot of great tea and spent time in the mountains. Really incredible experience. Yeah, it just sounds like a dream. You have your your meditation studio and we'll get more into it. So let's what I would love for us to to listen to hear you tell us how did this all start? Like when did you first start getting interested? Was it Eastern philosophy? Was it meditation? Like what what brought you to what? How did it start and how long ago? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting because I've I've tried to answer that question a few <laughs> times. I mean, the short answer is I I became interested in yoga and meditation when I was in high school because my mom was taking yoga classes and she was working in the fitness and wellness area. And that was in Chicago high school? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've lived in Illinois my whole life. But actually, when I think about it, you know, I grew up Catholic and Mm -hmm. I was very serious (laughs) about it as a child. Like I was very devout and prayerful and reverent. Mm -hmm. And now reflecting on that, I realized that's just a different, that's just mantra meditation. You know, it's just a different form. I also grew up as a musician. So I spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. in practice rooms and spending hours playing piano and that kind of concentrating focused work. I see how it sort of arose in a lot of different ways. But when I was in high school is when I sort of moved away from Catholicism and I became interested in meditation and Buddhism specifically. Um, And then shortly thereafter, I spent a little time at the San Francisco Zen Center and, you know, was doing a lot of reading and practicing. And that led now to teaching meditation and doing consciousness coaching and all sorts of related things like tea ceremony. Tell us the name of your meditation center again. I know I know still... (laughs) Still life meditation. It's out in Elgin in a historic building overlooking a river in this beautiful little historic town. So (laughs) yeah, we lucked out. (laughs) Oh, I love, I love that. I I love, I have a whole new relationship with rivers now. Like I was telling before we started, I live on water by this river. It's like, I love rivers now. So, okay. So wait, your meditation studio, how long have you guys been there? I mean, how long have you had it? Yeah, we opened in 2020, which was crazy. Mm-hmm. I was wow, to, you oh. opened during the pandemic. What? <laughs> I was going to <laughs> the plan. The plan was to open in April of 2020. <laughs> and in the middle of March, we're like, that's never gonna happen. My landlord was gracious enough to say, we'll just hold off until, you know, in Illinois, we had phases of what types of businesses were allowed to operate. And mine being essentially a recreational like gathering space. Um, I wasn't allowed until like phase three out of four phases to even open. Mm -hmm. So it was in July of 2020 that I opened. So we're coming up on three years. And what brought you to, you know, the idea to have the center and why did you want felt, you know, inclined to do it and compelled to do it? 
Yeah, I growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, it's very normal for people in the Midwest to drive long distances to do stuff like completely, completely normal. Mm. But I was, you know, I was facilitating sound baths and teaching workshops and doing things. Mm. And I had to drive into Chicago for all of it. And every time I would drive into Chicago, because there wasn't a market out in the suburbs. So I would spend an hour driving into Chicago and schlepping all my stuff. And someone would come up to me afterwards and say, I drove all the way from the suburbs for this. (laughs) And I'm like, so did I. (laughs) That's fine. So, so I realized after I heard that enough times that the only places around me where I lived to engage in meditation were either Buddhist or Hindu temples, um, which for someone who's not particularly interested in that religion, it can be very intimidating and very inaccessible. Of course. Or the other options were yoga studios, which, you know, again, are intimidating and inaccessible to a different kind of person, right? And for me, being very oriented towards secular, straightforward, practical mindfulness techniques, I was looking around for a neutral space and there wasn't one. And so I thought, you know, I'll, I guess I'll just do it myself. Yeah, that's wonderful. And what was your first introduction to, to meditation? Yeah, you know, when I started learning in high school about religions beyond Catholicism. You know, I grew up in Catholicism. And when I started learning about religions from other parts of the world and other practices like Buddhism and the practices associated with, you know, the more philosophical side of yoga, I became interested in meditation. And I guess I just sort of gravitated toward it immediately. It was just one of those sort of affinities that I didn't know I had. But I started taking yoga classes because I didn't want to do gym class in high school. <laughs> so I took I took yoga classes at the local community <laughs> college to get the credit. <laughs> and so then I was sort of introduced to that philosophy. And I started reading and learning about it and just practicing on my own. You know, at that time, there weren't apps for meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, there were YouTube was around, but it wasn't a thing that right. people like watched a lot. But it was mainly reading books and following written instructions that I started doing it myself. Mm-hmm. And what kind of it was there a kind or was it just like general? Yeah, so I sort of gravitated early on towards Zen and Zazen, which is just seated silent meditation. But in the area of, in the context of the yoga classes I was taking, you know, there was a little, you know, like Nadi Shodana and some, you know, like basic movement based gentle breath work, that kind of thing. But I never really latched on to one particular format or another. I sort of went straight into I went, I have a tendency to go to the most extreme immediately. So I just went straight into like sitting in silence for half an hour. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that's like the hardcore one. <laughs> I know. I'm, I, for a long time, I thought I was an easygoing person, but I'm learning these days. I'm actually quite intense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so what is your approach to meditation nowadays? And what we were talking about, what does meditation mean to you? And I, you said you, it's been changing. So I'm super interested in what was it and what is now what's the transition yeah it's really interesting to have something i'm sure you feel this way about yoga and tea especially yeah. to have something that you engage with deeply for such a long period of time it's like a marriage right like yeah. you you both evolve over time and your relationship changes as the individuals change and all of these things or like parenting right You notice how these things change in relation to each other as you grow. When I first started meditation, as I mentioned, I'm very intense. I went straight into like 
silent only, like no music, no guidance. Like I never did a formal. That's me too. That's me too. <laughs> yeah. So I never did a formal Zen training where they like hit you uh-huh. with a stick or anything. Oh yeah. I never went that deep, but I was really attracted to Zen. And I spent some time early on. I spent my 20th birthday at the San Francisco Zen Center mm. and, you know, sitting in silence for several days. And I really, I realize now that what drew me to meditation early on And I think this is why that particular form appealed to me so much. What drew me to meditation early on was like, as a young person, and especially with with the process of grappling with religion at such a young age, I just had so many emotions that I was unable to understand. At the, I mean, I, I stopped calling myself Catholic when I was 13. That's like mm-hmm. a really young age to be like grappling with these questions, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. And it fully, fully on my own. Like it wasn't a thing in my family. It wasn't a thing in my community. I still went to Catholic school off towards the end of high school. Like it was just a thing I was doing myself. And what appealed to me about meditation early on was really the emphasis on equanimity, mm-hmm. on allowing things to go, on... Even, you know, and for a person of my constitution, like going towards the end of repression, right? If we get unhealthy with that, it's it's a way of detaching to the point of numbing oneself, right? And that's what what now I realize what appealed to me early on is that ability to detach, to mm-hmm. to enter a state of tranquility, even when your mind or your heart necessarily are not are not necessarily in that place, right? That's what appealed to me early on. And so there were a lot of flavors in my practice of self-control, right? Which is also a very Catholic thing. I just did another Catholic thing, but like Buddhist, right? (laughs) But like there were a lot of things about like self-control. And I see with my clients too, who want to learn meditation, there are a lot of things like that that come up at, of course, all stages of life. And people are like, I feel crazy and I don't want to feel crazy, right? I realized that that's what was going on. And now as I'm sort of maturing and understanding how to approach meditation and how to sort of approach life more generally right now that I just have more life experience than a teenager does. Right. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's happened is I've become much more relaxed about the practice of mindfulness and about Mm. the practice of meditation in particular. And so, whereas 10 years ago, I might've said, you know, meditation is, you know, sitting still and quiet for the purposes of calming the mind. Right. Now, the way that I describe meditation changes all the time. <laughs> and mm-hmm. one, of, one of my favorite ways to describe it is just not doing other things, right? Yeah. All yeah. we're doing is just not doing other things. Or as, as one of my teachers, Scott Schwenk says, you know, meditation is tapping into the field of consciousness that we're already in. Mm, that, I this, love that this awareness or this consciousness that is const- always happening around us and within us, it's just being more connected and aware of that. And recognize that you don't need to be sitting still or quiet to do that. Right. (laughs) So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of different flavors of (laughs) self-acceptance that have come Mm -hmm. up in my practice, as opposed to when I first began, it was really sort of about reining things in. And I Mm -hmm. see all different levels of this journey as they're playing out. Well, and I was going to say, you probably also have now a number of meditations for your own self that you've been through. And also you have guided slash taught, you know, you've worked with a lot of people as bringing meditation and 
and teaching, that must be really interesting too. Like seeing the journey of someone, maybe sometimes who have never meditated and comes to you and they're like, how, how does it, like, how does it start? I know it's like different for everybody, but in the beginning, when you have, you have a center. So I just want to touch that a minute. Cause I was telling you before we started recording how I love that. Cause a lot of times you see meditation in a yoga studio or meditation, you know, in this place or that place. And it's rare. It exists. Of course, I know one in Los Angeles, but uh, that you have a center dedicated just to meditation. Exactly. Like you said, of course, that's not Hinduist or Buddhist or you know connected those those exist more we have a Hare Krishna temple here in New Orleans but we don't have a just meditation center so I find that really unique and it's really it's just really amazing I love that you're doing that and it's just creating that space for people so if somebody comes and they've never done it before and they're just curious how do you start do you have like an intro thing or do you do, the, do you do some groups, some privates? How does it work at the center? Yeah, so it's really, I I kind of think of it as my private practice, like a doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's kind of a strange <laughs> way of thinking about it. But, you know, one of my motivations for creating this place was, you know, to be able to do things my way, which, you know, is not for everyone. So whatever, the people who are right will find it and enjoy it and people who are not will fall away. But you know, for a long time, I had a lot of group classes on the schedule, like a yoga studio. Now I'm more focused on one-on-one work because as you alluded to, people are in all sorts of different processes, different moments in their lives and um, experiencing different things and having different questions. And I, just as a the way that my brain works, I work best one-on-one with people, mm-hmm. but I also see the greatest transformation happening in one-on-one classes. And part of that is because it's actually quite confronting, as you know, to have a one-on-one session with someone. It can feel very intimidating. But mm-hmm. when you, the people who are sort of willing to work within that discomfort are ready to engage. And I'm sure anyone listening who teaches or guides or coaches in any way knows what I'm talking about. Like, And as a student myself, right, I would go to a group class because I didn't really, I wasn't quite ready to actually engage with the discomfort of wanting to change or wanting to grow. And so the the group offers protection, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're not going to get too much attention, right? You're not going to get too much focus, but I'm focused on -on one-on-one teaching right now. And for people who are beginning to your question, I do have some workshops occasionally. I do have some group classes occasionally, but I often recommend to people the best way to start is with one-on-one guidance because we can actually just cut straight into what you're already thinking about. And again, that can be confronting for some people. They're not ready for it. We need to talk and we need to email first, right? But for an example, I have some clients who are empty nesters, right? And they're kind of figuring out what their next step is. I have a client who's older and they are sort of entering this time of they're grieving their spouse and they're entering this time of like opening up to the possibility of a new partner. I have some Mm -hmm. clients who are in college or who are just starting their first jobs who are like, I grew up on the internet. I have a short attention span. I don't know how to operate like as a human, (laughs) you know, like there's a lot of different things and you can, you can see how if all those people were in one class together, there's no one thing I could do that would actually serve all of them directly because they're just in such different places. And this is, again, another one of the motivations for creating my space and being able to do it, quote unquote, my way is that I really am focused on practical 
pragmatic. I won't say easy because we all know meditation isn't easy, but like (laughs) straightforward, simple sort of techniques and things that actually apply to your life. I had a client who came in once because they were getting divorced and it was a very, very belligerent divorce, like yelling at each other in the courtroom, like, you know, like all... Absolutely. And this client came in and they were like, I need to be able to keep it together while Mm -hmm. I'm in court. And I'm like, great, here's three breathwork exercises. We're going to do them. (laughs) Like we're going to sit, we're going to visualize this particular scenario and notice the feelings that come up. We're going to use words. You're going to speak back to me. Like this is, and this is why I also sort of blur the line into coaching, right? Which is really one of my passions is that like, let's really just get right down to the issue. Let's get straight into this thing. And when we start small, or start, I would say more focused rather than small. When we start by focusing on one particular thing, then we see the results and that gives us energy to go and work through this process or apply these lessons to all sorts of other areas of our life. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what, when somebody comes, how do you, I know you said it's individual, but let's say I wanted to have an idea. Okay. So let me ask you this first. So I have a lot of people that come to me, sometimes students and say, I can't meditate. (laughs) Right. So how do you, how, what, what would you say to someone like that? Like, how would we remove that blockage and get them on a roll? And how many minutes do you start? Is there a formula or how do you start someone like that? And what would you say first? Because someone like that has people that won't, that will just say, I can't like that. I can't do it. Yeah. And I'm trying to like get them to move past that, you know? Yeah. That's such a great question, Natalie, because I hear it all the time, just like you do. Yeah. Right. And we all feel it sometimes, right? I yeah. feel on Me certain too. days, I'm like, I can't do it today. Just can't do I it. Know. Right. One of my teachers said once, you know, people say, I can't meditate because my mind is too busy. And he said, that's like saying I can't shower because I'm too dirty. It's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly why you do it. I love and, that. And this is the thing, this is the thing that I really, I'm so glad you asked this because this is a really common misconception, especially when we're living in a time of very short attention spans, ADHD, anxiety, these types of things. There is a conception that meditation is about being still and quiet and calm. And this is a really important thing. Meditation, we don't practice meditation in order to turn ourselves into something else, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a tool for getting to know how we are a little bit better. And Mm -hmm. so for people who have a very active mind or a lot of stressors or an agitated nervous system, right? Meditate, the process of meditating is going to be very different. And the feelings that come up for you are going to be very different from the, you know, 10 people in the room, 10 different experiences, right? So the first thing I would say to this person is who says, I can't meditate. First, I would ask a question because I'm a coach. (laughs) And I would say, tell me more, you know, when, when have you tried meditation and tell me what that was like? And I do ask this often. So most of the time people say, oh, I used an app or I used a recording and I just couldn't stop thinking the whole time. And I'm like, great, you did it right. Because the purpose of meditation is just to learn about yourself. That's all it is. It's just to to open your eyes a little bit. And so when we try to sit quietly and we can't, or when we try to sit still and it's very challenging, we've learned something about ourselves. 
We've learned that our habit is to be a certain way and it's challenging to do it another way. Great. A plus you've, you succeeded, right? That's awesome. I love it. But then what I would ask is why are you interested in meditating? And, you know, given that you have this, I, this experience of, I can't meditate, what is your actual goal? And that's where we get down to it, which is often I feel stressed, right? I feel tense in my body. I have emotions that sort of throw off my whole day, right? As someone cuts me off, I'm angry for hours, like that kind of thing. And then we say, okay, now I understand. What we're trying to do is be less emotionally reactive, right? We're trying to understand ourselves a little bit better. We're trying to be able to shut down better at the end of the day after work, right? And this is the beautiful thing about meditation is there are thousands of different techniques for accessing that consciousness, as I said, thousands of different techniques. And when we are clear on what the goal is, then we can actually start to move in the right direction. I personally love walking meditation. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. who hate it. <laughs> They're like, I can't do it. I'm not focused, whatever. I love it, especially when you can go outside and do it. And that's the kind of thing that I would recommend for someone who's got jumpy legs, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for someone who's like, I can't sit still. I'm like, I mean, think about how we treat children in school, right? Now, as we're getting to understand better the different ways that people learn and starting to respect different ways that brains work, right? There are a lot of different alternative ways of schooling, going outside, doing things more kinetically, more hands-on. This idea of like, I want to be the calm guru sitting on the mountain, floating up a foot off the ground, (laughs) like do that whole thing. Do you really want to be that? And why, right? Right. If you may, sometimes people come to, to meditation and they say, I feel exhausted all the time and I'm just not connected to, to anything. I'm like, great, let's stand up. Let's do mm-hmm. something energizing, right? So this is one, this is the thing about, you know, how do you start is being clear on what your intentions are. Unfortunately, the way that meditation is marketed, it's just really sexy to have like a daily morning routine meditation practice. And then I like mm-hmm. drink my fancy water and then I go run 12 miles. <laughs> like it's yeah. really attractive, you know, to have this sort of practice. And people think that sitting quietly and still is the answer to all your problems. Now, I'm not going to lie. It helps with a lot of stuff, <laughs> learning to yeah. sit still and quietly with yourself. But if we're clear on what our goal is, then there are many, many, many different ways to access that awareness, to access that insight, which is always available to us, regardless of what type of brain or body you have. And describe, thank you for that. That's beautifully said. And describe for people who don't know what a walking meditation is, like what would that exercise be like in the beginning? Yes. Yeah, so if somebody is, wants to try it at their house or something. Or absolutely. Body. Yeah. And um, Tignat Han has a great little, little slim book called How to Walk which is excellent. And, you know, he was a great teacher of these very practical techniques. So yeah, so he has a lot of great info on walking meditation. But essentially, in in meditation, all we're doing is continually bringing our awareness back to what's happening. We're just continually coming back to what's happening. And so walking meditation is actually a tool I used a lot with a client who was in recovery from a stroke. Because this client, obviously, their body's asymmetrical. They were walking with a cane, they couldn't lift one arm for a long time, right? And it just brings greater awareness to the way that you're operating and it helps you recognize different habits and things that you have. So I especially recommend walking meditation for folks who either have difficulty sitting still 
or are going through some sort of physical transformation that they want to bring more awareness to their body. So what I like to do in walking meditation is I begin first by just standing still, you know, put your feet about hip width apart, give yourself a nice stable stance, standing still and breathing and loosening the body. You'll notice when you breathe that your body is constantly in motion because if your your shoulders are relaxed and your belly is relaxed, Mm -hmm. your breath actually moves quite a lot in your musculoskeletal system. So starting just by noticing the fluidity of the body as you're breathing. And then I like to walk very, very slowly. There are versions of walking meditation, which are actually quite brisk, but I like to walk very, very slowly and start by shifting the weight and lifting the leg and setting it down and shifting the weight back and just taking your time. And one of the things that I love about this is noticing sort of the juiciness of the body. If you have chronic pain or arthritis or anything like this, right, it'll be a very different experience for you. And I respect that and that you're going to get something different out of it. And you're going to choose to walk for different reasons than I would choose to walk. Mm -hmm. But what we're doing is just noticing how the body is moving and working. And one of the things that's beautiful about walking meditation outdoors is that you start to notice your body swaying in the breeze and you Mm -hmm. start to notice how you turn when you hear sounds. And this Mm -hmm. is the whole purpose, right? Tapping into that awareness, which is already all around us. Notice that I never said during this description, this is the right way, quote unquote, the right right way to do walking meditation. Right. All we're doing is using this movement just as you Mm -hmm. would asana, right? Or just as you would a particular Mm -hmm. seated posture. We're using this movement to bring awareness to what's happening in the body. Yeah. And another question I get a lot, and this is like, whether it's sitting or walking, how long do I need to meditate for? Or what? Yeah. What's the, what's the okay time? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. You know what? That's that's funny. How much? How much do I do it? Is that is that enough? Is that too yeah. much? It, once you practice meditation for a little while, you will notice. For me, I have no idea, but my body clock is twenty two minutes, and I start getting restless. So I try to sit for thirty <laughs> because <laughs> it's nice to push yourself a little bit or to experiment and sort of sit in the juicy discomfort and see what comes up for you. But one way of putting it is, you know, we call this a practice, right? We're practicing being aware. We're practicing being still or being energized or whatever your it is, your intention is, right? We're, we're spending time practicing that feeling. So think about it this way. Out of 24 hours in the day, how much time am I going to practice being tranquil, being calm, being aware? How much time am I going to practice sleeping? And how much time am I going to practice being distracted, reactive, busy, and stressed, (laughs) right? So start there. Start there. How much can I commit to practicing being calm? And maybe it's three minutes. Maybe it's like you, you are a busy parent and you have to get the kids off to school and then jump in your car and go to work. Maybe you're going to try to do everything five minutes earlier so that you can drive to work and sit in your car for five minutes before you go into the office. Mm-hmm. And that's how much time you have to practice, right? This is the, this is again coming from the intention because this, this speaks to my point about like the sexy morning routine, right? 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night, or right. oh, I do it an hour a day or whatever, right? When we put rules on ourselves, and this is something I experience a lot as a very intense person, (laughs) when we put rules on ourselves, they never stick. Because what Mm -hmm. we're saying is, 
someone else said this is a good idea. So I guess I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. But when we come to it from a place of devotion and a place of intention, and how do I want to feel? I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's easier to do the thing. You know, the word discipline, it's the same as the word disciple. Mm-hmm. It's, it's someone who is in devotion to something. And this is actually something that came up recently. We were talking about these healthy morning habits and we we're like making the bed, right? Really simple thing to make the bed every morning. And why is it so hard for this person? They were asking, why is it so hard for me to make the bed in the morning? I love getting into a made bed, but for some reason, I hate doing it in the morning, even though I know at night, it's going to feel really good to get into the nice crisp bed. And I said, okay, you could, you could get angry at yourself and you could say a good person would make their bed, right? Or everyone's telling me to make my bed. You know, this person says I should do it. It's a good morning practice. It's part of the morning routine. Or you could say, I love the feeling of getting into a made bed and I'm going to treat my future self to that experience because tonight Mm -hmm. at nine o'clock, I am going to love myself so much when I get into this bed and I will thank my present self for doing that for me. Like I'm making my bed every morning if that's how I'm treating it. Right. Yeah. But this thing of like, how much should I meditate? How much should I Right. If we can come at it from a place of, I value myself, I value my alone time, I value my tranquility, I love being with myself, which is not true for everyone, right? That's an issue of self-care and self-love, right? But if we can come from a place of, I'm- But you can cultivate that too. Exactly, right. I'm learning to love being with myself. I Mm -hmm. have an intention to love being in this calm and tranquil place, right? Then- it somehow the minutes find themselves, right? And we get into it. Now, as I mentioned, physiologically, for some reason, it takes me at least 20 minutes to kind of drop into a a calming place. If I do breath work, if I do something else Mm -hmm. like that, it has a tendency to facilitate getting into that state that I like to cultivate a little bit more quickly. But this is one of the things like that people will discover is like, if I can start with the intention of this is how I want to feel, or this is how I want to be, then maybe I do it in the morning. Maybe I do it at night. Maybe I take a walk at lunch and do some walking meditation around the office building or whatever, but that type of thing. And then we start to learn over time, okay, I can drop in in 10 minutes and it feels great. Or in mm-hmm. my case, right? It takes a little bit longer for my mind to settle down and let go of it. What's your, what's your sweet, what are you doing now? Like what time of the day are you enjoying now? Yeah, so it varies. I actually have never had a consistent morning practice. And that's that's like my dirty secret <laughs> as a meditation teacher. <laughs> never been consistent in my life because we all go in cycles, right? It's yeah. easier to be still in the winter than it is to be in the summer, those types of things, right? Yeah. Right now, my practice every morning is as soon as I get out of bed, I put the kettle on for tea. I sit and have tea. Usually I wake up before my partner does. So I'm alone downstairs. Now the sun's rising earlier. So it's not as dark and cozy as it used to be in the winter. But typically I'll sit and have tea just silently. And usually I'll journal or reflect on... Usually during that time, ideas come up and insights come up. And so during that time is when I'm sort of tapping into this stream of things because I often wake up in the middle of the night with ideas or I dream about things. Mm. And so in the morning, it's actually difficult for me to have quiet time because that's when I find that my insights are flowing. 
So Mm. I, these days, I'm really enjoying that journaling time or that more sort of contemplative time in the mornings that I'll do some work. And I'll often take time right after work or a little bit later in the evenings to have some still quiet time as sort of a transitional activity, right? Nice. So like today I was telling you, I was laying in the grass before we started recording here because I spent all day in go mode. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it's time to shift out of that. And all it takes for me usually is to just physically be still. And now that all the birds are out, right, you've got these beautiful songs every every 30 seconds, this beautiful chirp and this song and this thing happening. That's just like, come back. You're here. You're here. Yeah. What time do you usually get up? I usually wake up without an alarm between five and six. Um, I'm getting much better at not looking at my phone the first thing. (laughs) There was a time where I was putting my phone in a box downstairs away so I wouldn't use it. And I I would enjoy getting back to that. But yeah, now that the sun is rising earlier too, I find myself getting up earlier. And that's just my rhythm. You know, everyone has their own. Yeah. So how did tea come into your life? I love you said that about putting the kettle in the morning. I love that. I love that's such a great way to start the day. Yeah. um, Yeah. So now we have this tea practice that's connected to living tea and all these ceremonial, you know, offerings and also mindful tea as a mindful practice. Just for people who are listening, they may not know what we're talking about. It's not the tea from the supermarket. It's a type of tea. It's more like this mindful practice. So how did, yeah, how does that, did that, how did you get connected to that? And what does tea mean for you now? And, you know, what's the role of that? Yeah, it's an interesting journey. And it's one of those things similar to meditation that I'm like, oh, I guess I was just always headed in this direction. Because around, I guess in high school, you know, I realized that I didn't actually like the flavor of coffee. Like it was a thing Mm -hmm. for all my friends and me to go to Starbucks. My mom and I would go to Starbucks on Sundays (laughs) and read the newspaper back when there were newspapers, you know, like stuff like that. It was just a social thing. Like most people with coffee, you know, you want something warm in the morning and you go out for coffee with friends, right? Um, And I realized that I didn't actually like the flavor of coffee. (laughs) And I started drinking more tea. And again, because I'm a very intense person, I was immediately like, what's the most healthful? What's the best way that I could drink tea? And that's how, (laughs) what's the best way I could do this purely casual, enjoyable thing? Like, how do I make this more pressure on myself? That's a habit of funny. That's funny. (laughs) So I started learning about matcha because matcha is well known for its health benefits. And matcha is the tea that's served in Japanese tea ceremony. And Mm -hmm. so as I was learning more about matcha, for the first time encountered, I was like, oh, what is this Japanese tea ceremony? And there's actually an incredible organization in Chicago called the Japanese Cultural Center, Mm -hmm. Japanese Culture Center. And they teach a lot of martial arts and ikebana and calligraphy, a lot of cultural arts. And there was a Japanese tea ceremony class running at that time with Omar Francis Sensei. And I decided to take it because my father actually has a real affinity for Asian aesthetics. Like he just had, Mm -hmm. we had a lot of Japanese art in our home and a lot of like, you know, things like that. So I just had this affinity towards it. And when I first started learning the Japanese tea ceremony, it was really incredible because I had, I was already interested in meditation, mindfulness. I'm a visual artist. I'm a musician. Like the aesthetics appeal to me, but it was really the first sort of tangible form of a meditation that I really engaged in deeply. You know, as I mentioned, I was doing silent meditation 
I was doing yoga really just for the physical health benefits. And this form of meditation made real, tangible in your hands was something new for me. And I took to it right away. You know, I became very interested in it. And I started learning more about tea ceremonies. And that's how I started learning about poor tea and Chinese style herbalist, you know, old Taoist medicine, that sorts of thing. That's how I became aware of Living Tea and Global Tea Hut, these organizations, which are really, you know, modern schools of this, which are giving form to these traditions and these, this yeah, sort of And we've, we've interviewed Wuda for the Life on Earth podcast as well. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a living tradition and it's evolving all the time as more people are getting involved in it. And that, that really, I I can't even articulate what it is, but it really struck me in a way that was like, oh, this makes total sense. Like, Mm -hmm. of course I should be doing this. Right. And the thing about tea, about tea, not ceremonially, which is an intimidating word, but like any sort of quiet, mindful tea drinking of any kind, even if it's a bag of celestial seasonings, right? No shame. I love their sleepy time blend. But like Mm. any sort of quiet, mindful tea drinking is really an incredible way to start your day from that place of, of awareness, of stillness. It takes time to prepare. You know, you can't just hit a button on the coffee maker and your tea, right? It, it gives me specifically, it gives me an anchor of, like I said, I get up, I put the kettle on. That's just what I do. Right. (laughs) You know? And that's how I sort of got involved in practicing tea myself. And then, as I mentioned, eventually running half of living tea. Yeah. And and it goes hand in hand. I think it's so it makes so much sense that the meditation, you know, because you were doing really into the meditation and this tea practice is just so complimented. It is a form of meditation in many ways. It can be as well. Now, of course, like you were saying, you can do a very traditional ceremony for those who can host that. And then there's also, you can also sit and be more communal. And, you know, if you're doing community and even chat and share some, but still be mindful and aware and present. And you can also do it on your own with like, sometimes I do three bowls of tea and just silence. Like in that might be my meditation for the day and just being really mindful, you know, of like how I bring the bowl and just the sensations of the tea through my body and connecting with the tree and then the cattle and the water. And that's sort of my moment. And that's just so beautiful for me to have that moment before I get so crazy busy, you know, with <laughs> life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned three bowls of tea in silence in our tradition. That's what we rec- we recommend people yeah. begin with. And so when, when you asked earlier, like, where do I start with meditation? One of the really simple ways to start bringing more awareness, right? Or, or tranquility or whatever your particular intention is. One of the really easy ways to start doing that is to just tweak something you already do, right? So if you wake up in the morning and you drink tea, like if you just put a bag of mint tea in a mug in the morning, right? And that's how you start your day. Instead of throwing it in the mug and then running upstairs and brushing your teeth and putting on your clothes and stuff, sit for five minutes and drink your tea and only drink your tea, right? Mm -hmm. And see what that does. Do that for a week and see what that does. You've started a meditation practice. Like, congratulations, That's right? right. You know, so, right. so taking something you already do, like driving, like, I know I'm just going to say it because everyone does it. Like, don't bring your phone into the bathroom with you. 
you know, things like this, right? This is one of the beautiful things about tea is that it's just an everyday activity. Like everybody enjoys something hot to drink. And so why not infuse that with beauty, with mindfulness, with attention, Mm -hmm. with service, as you said, sharing it in community? Like why not take something which is already familiar and cherished and, you know, experiment, right? It's again, it's not about measuring up to a standard but experimenting with how I can play with that and start to build in this intention that I have into all the ways that I operate throughout my day. Yeah. I love that too. And, you know, I've even emailed with you before about how to host some community, some, some ceremonies or mindful tea practice. We have one actually coming up in what, like three days or something in new Orleans. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about it, but when I first started, I was, it really held me back from sharing it with the community because I thought I didn't know how to do it right, mm. you know, years ago. And yeah. because I was like, well, I'm not going to know how to do it like Wuda does. And I'm not going to know how to do it like Colin does, you know? And so it's like, and that was such a, in a way, kind of, it prevented me from sharing it with people even though I was going to the online courses and the in-person courses when I could in California and whatever, but I still said, you know what, let's just let that go. And it can be different things. It doesn't, it's not maybe going to be the, you know, to the tea, or even if it was the matcha Japanese ceremony, like they do is they have generations that do it. It's like, no, it may not look like that, but it's going to look like something that we're going to share. Like this Saturday, we're doing one. It's more community one. And we're going to really enjoy the what is Maple Grove that we're doing, the shopware, and just talk about that tea also for a moment. And then we have a sound bath with it. And there's going to be some journaling and some sharing. And it's yeah, like, beautiful. Hey, beautiful. You know, it's like, and I think, I think this is one of the, this is a really this is, you're making a point that applies to so many different areas, which is not, I mean, more broadly, like the barriers that we put up for ourselves out of fear of doing things wrong, so to speak. Right. But more, more talking about sort of what is the intention, right? What is Mm -hmm. the intention? And for a lot of people who get into something like tea ceremony, right? The intention is to be the best. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. as crazy as that kind of sounds to me, Mm -hmm. right? The intention is to kind of be cool, right? Like Mm -hmm. I know something that other people don't know and it's really beautiful. And I did this, I did the courses and I do it Mm -hmm. correctly, right? All of these sorts of things, right? And to me, you know, this is a judgment, but that's a little opportunistic, right? Because it's a way of dividing ourselves from other people, right? And I know a lot of prominent figures in our our sort of tea community who give off this air of like, I'm, I know the thing and like, <laughs> welcome to my space where I'm doing it. Right? <laughs> but like, you know, getting to, to the intention of it, we can all have the intention of sharing something that we find meaningful and important. And as long as you are doing that in integrity, then more mm-hmm. power to you. Like I, I personally, you know, you mentioned Wuda and Colin and Global Tea Hut. You know, that is that is a living m- contemporary school in which there yeah. are students who have received, who have taken vows to uphold the integrity of that teaching. And I am not one of them. 
Mm-hmm. And I never claim to Interesting, be Interesting, because you're like, in, <laughs> you're right. in liberty. <laughs> right, right. You know, I have not, I have not done that level of formal training and recognition in this particular tradition. And mm-hmm. I, as a person of, I like to believe as a person of integrity, would never tell someone I am doing it correctly. I am trained. Mm-hmm. I have authority. I have that sort of thing. That's just my, you know, the way that I think about it and the way that I operate. Mm-hmm. There are people who are out of integrity and who say this is quote unquote tradition or this is the real way or this is that like, you know, the history of tea, the first real quote unquote way of serving tea was like boiling it in a pot with other herbs and vegetables as a medicinal (laughs) tonic, right? Like none of us are doing it like the original way, so to speak, right? But like, this is, this is the thing about being in integrity is like, just be honest about what you have to offer. And like your story of, you know, I felt like, um, I was doing it wrong or I didn't have the chops, right? I didn't have the chops to do it. Right. If, if we said, I'm I'm just going to come and serve some tea for you. Like I right. none the wiser, like no problem, you know, and yeah. there are people who they go to one tea ceremony. They're like, I have to do this. I have to start sharing tea. And I say more power to you, right? Absolutely. Go and share tea. Don't be going there and pretending you're a teacher of this particular right. lineage and like all of that sort of stuff. Right. But this comes back to the intention, which is service, community, sharing, harmony with nature, right? Mindfulness, stillness, right? If we are clear about what we are here for, then it is very easy to do that. And if what you are here for is like being the best and knowing the most stuff, great. But like, be honest, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to learn the most stuff and know more than you, right? Yeah. And I, I find that to be a very difficult way to live. Um, mm-hmm. But some people really enjoy that sort of, that sort of thing of like knowing the most and and being the person who knows the stuff. But to your point, you know, just sharing tea with friends, like that's incredibly beautiful and yeah. a practice which is sorely needed in a time of disconnection and, you know, coming out of all the lockdowns and all of the, you know, travel bans and all of these sorts of things, this ability to be together with other people, it very much feels brand new to me again. You know, I'm yeah. still learning, learning how to do that. <laughs> I know. It's funny. It seems like a whole new world now. It, well, it's also like, in my mind, the last three years just don't exist. Like they just evaporated out of thin air. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, wait, it's been three years. And I haven't, you know, I didn't go to restaurants for a very long time and I didn't Mm -hmm. serve people tea for a very long time. And so this is a really wonderful time to reevaluate our intentions and to say, Mm -hmm. this is the thing that I find most meaningful. And this is what I want to share with other people as it's sort of feeling fresh again. Yeah, it's a beautiful explanation. Thank you. Do you serve tea at the, the meditation studio? You know what? I didn't for a very long time and I'm just starting to right now. I do like to share tea with my clients often. If we're having an in-person session, I like to start with some tea because Mm -hmm. tea is kind of, it's not magic, but it's very special, (laughs) right? And there there is a long tradition of gathering over tea and, you know, even in modern times, right? The Japanese tea ceremony was an incredible tool for political diplomacy, like international diplomacy Mm. and things like that, right? Cultural exchange, those types of things. And so when we share tea with others, we are entering that tradition and we're a part of it of like, let's 
foster this connection by sharing this thing. And it's really lovely to serve other people, as you know, something that we love so much and that we enjoy every day and to be able to expose other people to that. So yes, I'm just starting to add in some group events, but I do enjoy sharing tea with my, with my one-on-one clients. Yeah. Well, no, that's beautiful. What you said. I love, I love the, the having the tea for the one-on-ones. And then I'm glad that you're starting to do some group group sharings too. That's nice. It's it's crazy because I want, you know, that was one of my intentions right from the beginning. It's like, we're going to have tea every Sunday morning. And then I was like, oh, pandemic, like yeah. I'll, see, I'll see you in a couple of years. <laughs> and I don't know if you can answer this, but where are you guys going with living tea at the moment? Is that a secret question? Oh gosh, it's it's, actually, it's an amazing broadly. time. It's an amazing time for living tea because you know we are really we're in a spring moment. We're in a moment of sort of growth and revitalization. We have some really incredible new strategic partners who are helping us to grow and expand the business. Um, and now, as I mentioned, travel bans. Now Colin is able to finally continue his sourcing trips to Asia. He's mm-hmm. actually in, he's on the West coast of the U S right now, meeting with some partners who are in town from China. Like there's just a lot of possibilities opening up right now and a lot of cool things happening. Yeah, that's exciting. I can't wait to see. I hope you guys do the, the more online events too. Cause I love those. Yeah. I just yeah. unfortunately haven't been able to attend this past month, but I saw that they were coming back. And I always loved that, you know, too. So I'm excited. Noted. We'll put some on the calendar for you. (laughs) Yeah, please, please do. And, you know, I wanted to share this because when you were talking about your meditation studio, I have something very similar going on. So I had a yoga studio in New Orleans for like about 10 years. And before that, I worked in L.A. for another yoga studio for quite a while and both, which also was group, uh, focus on group classes. So different, many group classes every day. And then in New Orleans too, open seven days a week. And that's kind of what it was. And then about a year prior to the pandemic, I closed. So it wasn't because of the pandemic, but I closed my studio, just a physical location. And the reason I did that is because I had been working a lot online and had been offering the teacher training in different places, states. So I decided to focus on that. And I was kind of worn out of just having to run a studio seven days a week, group classes all the time, you know, it was a lot. So I did that to focus on something else. Pandemic hits, worked online these past few years, still do work online, and then decided to reopen. I think I told you that a month ago, whenever, about I'd say, I think it's been like now two and a half months or something like that, or three months. However, the the business model or the format, whatever you call it, it's very different now. I've decided to, since the beginning that we reopen, have only a handful of group classes a week. It's just like we have two or three, it depends on the week. And then those are group and they're open to the public and all that. And it's great. We still love having them. But then other than that, it's just focused on by appointment only and one-on-one sessions in different different. Uh, healers or, you know, different than modalities. We have like an Ayurveda person, we've got like sound bath, got energy healing, got different things, meditation, and then some events and some workshops that's going on. Like we're having a tea ceremony sound bath this Saturday, but it now it's sort of flipped, you know, like instead yeah. of like all the group classes, now it's more like very small amount of group classes per month, but then more focused on the 
really by appointment, you know, if someone wants to book something, the one-on-one mostly. And I'm really enjoying it. And it's interesting because I've had some other, there's a lot of yoga studios around here. I'm around New Orleans and in New Orleans areas. And a lot of people tell me, I'm not understanding. I'm going in your mind body. And there's only like three classes or two <laughs> classes. And they're very confused, you know. So on my yeah. website, I had to like put by appointment. And then there's like all this sort of menu and but I love, I'm loving this form. And I actually got it the, I well, I got inspired by, because I trained with a Five Cents Collective. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a sound bath company that they actually have this beautiful dome in Malibu in California. And they beautiful. do these like beautiful sound healings. And you might've seen them photos somewhere, but anyways, and they, they mostly, oh, they'll do some events here and there, but they mostly is by appointment. If you want, you're just going to book a one-on-one or you can come with a friend and share a session. And I don't know. I don't know. It's just interesting to hear that you kind of shifted to that too. And my friend shifted to that and I'm doing, and I feel like for me, it was like after all this, this past three years. And now this feels for me, I mean, everybody, obviously I'm not saying everybody should do that, but for me, it just feels much more authentic of operating this way right now. I'm I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because this is a, I mean, this is a concept in any business, certainly, but Mm. any sort of creative work, any, I'm not a parent, but I imagine this comes up in family dynamics a lot, right? Which is I can try to do everything. I can try to do volume (laughs) Mm. or I can focus and go in one direction. And, you know, we know this from nature, right? We prune back the tree so that it will get stronger and taller and grow and succeed in one direction, right? So we simplify in order to focus on what really has some staying power and what really has a a big impact. And I think that, you know, I'm seeing a lot of people doing the same thing that you're describing. Like, Mm. for sure, there are a lot of people who are like, I miss being around 30 people and I want Mm. to be back in group classes, right? Mm -hmm. But especially in sort of the wellness area and in meditation and this sort of healing facilitation work, um, I think it it is a bit overwhelming to go back to just the sheer volume of things that we were doing pre-pandemic. And now this sort of recalibration and and yeah. saying, what really matters? You know, what is the most potent? How can I preserve my energy? You know, we're still in a grief process. We're still in a processing trauma. All of these things that we've been through in the past three years, I think a lot of us are learning to be a little bit gentler with ourselves and saying, yeah. rather than trying to do a thousand things, or for me, it was like, why am I making myself available five days a week for classes? For me, it was just sheer, I need more off time because I'm a person who works very focused Same. for a short burst. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like yeah. toast, you know? So yeah. I think, and even, even in living tea, as you asked, right, we're saying, what is the most potent offering? Like, what is it that our clients need the most and are asking for the most? And how can we be more focused and put more intention and energy and care into that thing rather than trying to spread ourselves too thin, which as we all know, means that you have nothing left in the tank to give. That's right. That's right. And so are you offer, if someone wants to work with you, are you offering things online, offering online and do one-on-ones online? Or you, you have meditations online? Do you have recordings? How does that work? Yes. You can book an appointment with me through my center, Still Life Meditation. That's stilllifemeditation.net. 
for both coaching sessions and private meditation instruction. If you're in the Chicago area, I do have some events now and then that you can come and participate in. And that's also linked on my website. You can find me at living tea, you know, see what we're doing there. I have a couple, you know, clips and things on Insight Timer, but I try, as I was just saying, try to focus, try to keep it in one place. If I don't have, yeah. I don't have a podcast or a YouTube channel or anything like that. I really, I feel most fulfilled and I see the greatest transformation in one-on-one face-to-face with another person. And it's really, that's where I like to focus all my efforts. Yeah. What is your style of coach? Because we didn't even talk about it, but I know you offer mindful coaching, right? Yeah. Yes. I call it consciousness coaching. And what it really sort of bloomed organically from my work with mindfulness, you know, I've studied many different sort of modalities in terms of like conscious business, you know, how we approach behavioral psychological things, you know, how we approach problems, processing trauma, that sort of stuff. And I've studied a lot of that. And what I call consciousness coaching is really about how do we approach things? What is our relationship to the experiences that we're having? And so sort of organically, I've ended up working with a lot of people in business and a lot of people who are in this moment of uncertainty or confusion about their next steps, people who are in a moment of transition. And what the way that I like to describe coaching is just as an athletic coach does, a coach observes what you're doing. They observe what you're saying and they reflect back to you based on their expertise, what they are observing. That's really all it is. Coaching, you know, it's an unregulated industry and a lot of people call it a lot of different things. What I observe is that there are a lot of coaches or people out there who call themselves coaches who don't have any training in behavioral psychology. They're just kind of there telling you their methods, which is Mm -hmm. what I would call a facilitator or an instructor, right? Mm -hmm. A coach is someone who asks questions and who brings into your awareness things that you might not have noticed before. So this is what this is why I love one-on-one work so much is because I love figuring people out. Yeah. <laughs> and so people come to me and they say, you know, I I just quit my job and I have time, it's not a rush, but I really have no idea what my next step is. Or they say I'm at this moment in my business or, you know, like an empty nester, right? I'm feeling like something's coming and I don't know what it is and I don't know how to approach it. And so we'll look at, you know, we'll have a conversation and look at what's coming up for you. What feelings are you having? What fears are coming up about your next step? And tracing those back often, you know, as all things to childhood, right? Because our identities are formed so early in our lives. Um, Tracing those things back to habits and things that were developed very early in our lives and really getting to the root of those motivations and things. For some people, it can be very weird to come to a coach and to say, I don't know what I'm going to do in my business. And I'm going to say, what was, what was your, what was money talked to, talked to, like, how did they talk about money in your family when you were a kid? You know? And then they're like, what does that have to do with my business? I'm like, it's actually everything to do with your business, <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Or like, I'm, I'm, my marketing isn't working or I'm really having trouble putting myself out there. And then, you know, we'll ask questions like, you know, when, when you imagine this scenario, what feelings come up in your body? You know, what are your motivations for staying quiet and soft? What were your siblings like? Like things like that, right? Which you know sounds a lot like therapy, right? Coaching is not therapy, but what it does is it looks at the in in the way that I work, it looks at the results that are actually happening in your life. A lot of times when we get into any sort of contemplative exercise, whether it's meditation or any sort of personal development, wellness healing journey, that type of thing, we get really focused on how we think about things. 
What are our intentions? How am I going to figure this out? What am I, what's my plan? All that sort of stuff. But a mindful perspective on this is, okay, what's actually happening in my life? What's actually showing up? Because all of us say like, I want to eat healthier, right? And then we say, and then I'm like, here, I had a Wendy's milkshake earlier today, right? Like, let's, let's look at the results. Like, let's, let's look at the results, not from a place of like measurement, you know, not from a place of like, you're being bad, but let's say, okay, what is the purpose of this? What kind of person would I be if I quote unquote, ate healthier? What's my motivation? <laughs> like what sort of identity am I chasing by calling myself mm. this thing, right? And this is one of the beautiful things. And you can tell I'm like smiling so big right now because I love, <laughs> I just love figuring people out. And it's yeah. so much fun. Again, it's it's confronting work. Mm-hmm. But I've been working with a coach for the last, gosh, eight months now, just in a group setting with her small groups and her courses and things. And it's really incredible. Like I was saying earlier, the kind of transformations that come when we just get straight to the point, like stop, stop trying to be like a meditator, stop trying to be the good guy, stop trying to like be the person who knows the stuff and just get straight to the point. This is my problem. And Mm -hmm. it's so, it's so interesting to, to go there with people who are ready to do that. So yeah, coaching well, I wanted, instruction. I wanted you to, yeah. to, to, to share that. Cause I wanted people to know that they can work with you with that. Oh because yeah. I love you, it. You can, you can do zoom sessions, right? That's right. Yeah. And actually for people, for people who are listening, who are like, that kind of sounds scary to like, just get right into it. Zoom is actually a great tool. Like I early pandemic, I hated virtual stuff. Cause I'm like, this mm-hmm. is not good, but to actually have like this sort of separation between you, like if, I don't know if people have experience with teletherapy or, you know, any sort of people with social anxiety, right? Like having that physical separation, the barrier of the computer screen actually takes some of the edge off of doing this kind of work because you're not in the room, like face to face with a person. So that was one of the gifts that I really, I got out of the early lockdowns was like, I really opened up to doing things virtually. And I like it because I find that people are able to relax a little bit more when they're in their own environment and they can just be in their sweatpants and, you know, they don't need to do anything. And we can have a session in that comfortable place that you already have. Yeah. I mean, doing it from the comfort of your home. I'm one of those people that I get to really relax more. It, for me, it, it's, a, it's something that serves me a lot because I love being in my own space. So if I'm doing it like on a Zoom and, and I'm feeling more relaxed and more calm because I'm in my own space, it really assists me with the process of the coaching or whatever it is. So I totally Absolutely. Absolutely. And totally for a lot of people, especially with meditation practice, it's very difficult to do it at home because you just have more distractions. The kids are there, the dog's barking, whatever. Yeah. Right. But in certain scenarios, having that sort of comfort around you, you know, it's again, it all comes down to your intention. Like, do I want to separate from this? Am I feeling nervous? Do I want my security blanket? Like, you know, getting, mm-hmm. getting down down to what's my reaction and what would be most supportive. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rachel, for sharing so much. This was such a great conversation. I know we're going to do, we're going to do a meditation, a short meditation, but is there a social media too? I'm going to link all that on the show notes, what we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. You can find me at stilllifemeditation.net or you can find me, Rachel Maley on Instagram. Um, I actually a little while ago stopped my still life meditation Instagram because I was like, 
I'm constantly complaining about having too much stuff to do. So I'm going to stop doing yeah. so much stuff. So you can find me, Rachel Maley, or you can check me out, uh, Google my name or Google Still Life Meditation. Yeah, and come into your website and there'll be a lot of information there, I'm sure. Thank you so much. And I, yeah, I love it that we talked about closing this episode with a meditation that you will guide us. Yeah, so we'll do a short, a short sort of grounding exercise. You know, as I mentioned to you earlier, this before we started recording, I was very busy. I went outside to lay on the grass to kind of just sort of decompress and get into a mode of a little bit more awareness and more intention. And this is particularly useful in spring, which has a lot of sort of upward, vibrant growth energy, right? Mm -hmm. And we can, I certainly am feeling it these days. It's sort of like the new year, right? There's a lot of just energy of things happening and some are same way, very explosive. So we balance that by getting our roots back down in the earth. Mm. So we'll go ahead and we'll do a little grounding right now. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to get ready here and I'm going to tell this to everyone. If you are driving, we uh, suggest that you pause and then come back to this when you are in a space that you can, that you can sit with us or just be with us. So thank you so much, Rachel. Wonderful. So however you are sitting or standing right now or lying down, just elongate your spine in a way that feels comfortable. If you're in a chair, that might mean scooting back in your chair so that your your butt's right up against the back and your spine is nice and upright. And as you're taking a deeper breath in through your nose, Exhaling however feels good and dropping the shoulders down, letting the arms be heavy. Noticing if there's any gripping in the lower part of the belly. Letting that relax, letting the belly be soft and expansive. And another deep breath, noticing the neck. Often our neck is thrust forward when we are looking at our devices or sitting in chairs. Just moving the head backwards in space so that the ears are stacked right above the shoulders. Another gently deeper breath, letting it take its time. Not forcing in a deeper, impressive breath. Just letting the breath as it moves through you slowly trickle into every cell. Exhaling long and easy out the nose. Relaxing that belly with the exhale. Inhaling, melting the muscles of the face, the eyes, eyebrows, the region of the ears. As the breath comes in through the nose, 
and fills the whole space of the head and the throat and the belly. Softening all the muscles of the torso. And with each exhale, the breath washing out the body downward into the earth. Melting the belly. Feeling the hip bones supported by the earth beneath you. Here is the only place that I am and the only place that I need to be. Again, letting the breath take its time. In through the nose, softening all the muscles of the torso. Exhaling down and out into the earth beneath you. With this exhale, let the awareness come to rest on the points of contact with the earth. The sit bones, the seat, perhaps the soles of the feet or the sides of the legs, however you're sitting. And as this breath comes in, imagine that it is coming up from beneath you. The breath coming from deep at the center of the earth. Effusing into the body from below. Like a tree drinking water through its roots. Inhaling, the breath rising in from below. Exhaling back down, digested by the earth.
with each breath, the edges of the body become more porous. The barriers are not so clear. All the nourishment of the earth effortlessly flowing into the body with each breath. as the body melts into the earth. Notice with this inhale, how it feels to receive this nourishment. Perhaps it is welcome. Perhaps it is unfamiliar if you are always the giver. Softening all the muscles again, thinking into your seat. I welcome this nourishment through my roots. Exhaling, I let go effortlessly of what is no longer needed. Inhaling, I receive with gratitude. Exhaling, all burdens fall away for this moment. Once more, melting the belly, inhaling, feeling the breath rising, gently lifting the spine if it's sagged, exhaling, landing in the seat once more, 
Gently bowing the chin towards the chest. Softly fluttering the eyes open when ready. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for listening to Life on Earth podcast. I truly enjoyed this episode and talking to Rachel about all meditation things. Come back to the meditation as often as you like by subscribing to our new YouTube channel at Relaxation Nation 111. This is linked on show notes. And if you're interested in yoga training certifications, yoga nidra, head over to shantiyogatrainingschool.com. We hope to see you soon. Have a wonderful day. Follow our podcast on all your favorite platforms and share it with someone you love.